I had a bunch of people who came up to me over the week or last weekend, and they said, are you going to talk about your trip? Are you going to talk about your trip? Are you going to talk about your trip? And so you wore me down. And so, yes, I'll talk about the trip, but I'm going to stay within the framework of 2 Timothy. So I want to stay within the framework of 2 Timothy as we share um, today about, about the trip quickly. So two weeks ago, Victor um, preached on 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. He did a great job unpacking that. You can go back. You can listen to the previous message that um, is recorded. It's on the website. You know, if I was going to summarize what Victor said, this was the way I summarized it. To endure faithfully to the end, even through suffering, trials, and tribulation, we need to keep drinking deeply from the gospel. And so abide in the gospel, um, and if you do, you abide with Christ. Remain close to the gospel, never move on from it. That was kind of a a summary of what Victor talked about from 2 Timothy chapter 2. Um, and so while Victor was preaching, Ryan Pittman and I were in Germany. And so to give you a little bit of background, a couple years ago in 2019, we were invited to go to Lesvos, Greece, a refugee camp at the time um, known as Moria, uh, which burned down. But Moria is where we met a man named Hadi, um, who eventually changed his name to Johanna. So you'll sometimes hear me calling him Hadi, sometimes calling him Johanna because it's, um, I forget. Okay, and so anyway, I met Johanna in Greece. Um, a couple of us from Revolve were there, and we developed that relationship over time. Johanna is from Afghanistan. He became, he was a refugee. He became a believer in Greece um, probably about 12 or 13 years ago, I think, or something like that. And um, God has just really gifted him in evangelism in a big way. One of the most evangelistic guys I, I have ever met. Um, he reminds me a lot of like an Afghan Mikey White Shoes um, and um, in a lot of ways. Um, and so as we were in, Af- in Afghanistan, as we were in Lesbos, um, Johanna had, I mean, they had seen something like 400 people come to faith and be baptized in a year. Muslims um, who came to faith became Muslim background believers. And so now he's in Germany with his wife and his young um, almost one-year-old, and they are trying to minister to the refugees who came through Greece and then were scattered into Germany. So the way Germany structures their refugees, it's, it makes a lot of sense politically, but it can be a challenge spiritually, is what happens is you go into Germany and then you're assigned where you live. So you can't just choose where you want to live, you're, it's chosen for you. You come into Germany, you're assigned based upon an algorithm of size, economic value, or economic stability, these sorts of things, you're assigned to a town. Um, and you might be the only refugee family in that town. Um, and what happens often is that you are the only refugee family in that town, or maybe you're the only Afghan family, and then there's a couple Syrian families, but they don't speak the same language as you, because in Syria they speak Arabic, and then from Afghanistan, um, you probably speak Persian, but your mother tongue is probably Dari or Pashto or something like this, and so you don't, can't really communicate with the Syrians, even though we lump them all together as like, well, they're from the Middle East, you know, this kind of idea. Um, and so Johanna felt like he was supposed to move to Germany in large part because you have 400,000 Afghans living in Germany right now, and there's no real discernible, solidified work among Afghans. People get confused. They say, yeah, but there's a lot of work happening among Iranians. Um, but that's like, um, it's kind of like saying, 
you know, well, there's a, it's, it's like someone saying, well, you know, we really need to have a stronger witness in the United Kingdom, and someone going, yeah, but there's a great witness in the United States, and you're like, what's your point? You know what I mean? And so the Iranians and the Afghans, there's a lot of tension there to begin with. As soon as you have the Afghans and the Iranians in the same room, even though they have some overlapping language and culture, it's really not as overlapping as you might think. Because the Iranian culture had Islam thrust upon them during the Islamic Revolution. And so the Iranian culture at its heart, one of the reasons it's so receptive to the gospel is it's not truly a Muslim culture. Like the Arabic culture is a Muslim culture. It is embedded in the culture. It's not embedded in the Iranian culture. It was thrust upon them during revolution. And so there's a lot of cultural differences here. So why did we go? I talked about this three weeks ago. We went to encourage Johanna to encourage the people we were going to visit. Um, and we kind of likened that to Onesiphorus, who's at the end of Second Timothy chapter 1, where Paul talks about how Onesiphorus traveled all the way from Ephesus to Rome to encourage Paul to warm his spirit. And so that's why we went. Now, when we go on these trips, I want you guys to realize that I have Second Timothy chapter 2 in my brain. I use Second Timothy chapter 2 as a rubric for whenever I go on these trips and do consulting or encouraging or coaching, whatever you want to call it. It's really all the same thing. Um, the idea is that as I'm listening to people, I'm, I'm trying to listen to what they're saying, and I'm running it through this rubric of 2 Timothy 2, and I'm looking to see what is the problem, what is the weakness, what is the need. And so 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2 says this, "'You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus.'" What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There's three things here in this passage, which I bring up every time. If I teach the hub, um, you'll hear me bring it up, and it's the same thing that's in my brain as I meet with these leaders, and that's this. If the gospel is going to continue to go to the next generation, to the next generation, to the next generation, and beyond, we need three things as outlined right here in this passage. We need healthy people, we need a multiplicative process, and we need the power of God. Those are the three things that we see clearly in these, in these verses, because the bottom line is this, the gospel will move, move forward if you entrust it to someone who isn't trustworthy or who has bad character. And so you need healthy people, faithful people, as he says here. Secondly, the gospel won't move forward if you entrust it to someone who won't pass it on, okay? So you need a multiplicative process. And then third, the gospel won't move forward if you entrust it in the power of flesh instead of the power of God, because this is a spiritual work, and spiritual work requires spiritual tools, because as Jesus says in John chapter 3, flesh begets flesh, and spirit begets spirit. And so you, just because you have um, a lot of knowledge in your brain and you can communicate doesn't mean God's actually going to do anything, because you need the power of God, the grace of God at work in you and through you in order to accomplish these purposes. And so those are the three things that are on my brain when I go on these trips. And so I just want to unpack them briefly while sharing some stories. Healthy people. 
What does a healthy disciple look like? Well, Paul summarized it here as faithful, a faithful person. And within that word, we know all kinds of things are wrapped up. They're faithful, they're trustworthy. You know, what does it mean to entrust? You entrust something to someone because you think they're going to be responsible for it. They're going to take care of it, right? A father entrusts his daughter to, um, to his son-in-law, right? And so you're entrusting something of value. And so a healthy person is a faithful person. But as you went, Victor went through those, um, the soldier, the athlete, the farmer two weeks ago, you realize there's also aspects of health within those different metaphors that Paul gives. So you have a faithful person, you have the uh, soldier who is available to serve his commander. He's single-minded, he's focused, he's here for his commanding officer. Um, then you have the athlete who competes according to the rules. In other words, he's teachable, he's trainable, he's trustworthy, he has integrity, he doesn't cheat. And you have the farmer, the farmer who gets up day in and day out, who casts the seed, who waters the plants. He does the work, even though there's no discernible growth day to day. But he's believing that, he's, that it's going to reproduce. And so you've heard us say before, if you've gone through the hub, it's the acronym FATTER. We're looking for FATTER people. Faithful, available, teacher, reproducing, right? And so that's what we're looking for. We want FATTER people. And so Paul says we need healthy people. So that's why when we do the ABCs, when we do the hub, we talk about being rooted in the gospel, growing in your identity, how to abide in the word, how to abide in prayer, the hero bay share lifestyle, because these things are the essence of health. So I want to give you three stories from Germany that directly related to this issue of healthy people. The first, one of the first couples we met, um, there, his name was Yahya, which is um, Persian for John, John the Baptist, Yahya, and his wife's name was Miriam. Um, now, when they, were, they came to faith in, in uh, Lesvos, and they were growing. She was growing by leaps and bounds. She went to uh, the K. Arthur precept study. She was teaching women. She started to do some online courses um, in English to grow as a Bible student, as a Bible teacher. And then they got, their papers got accepted. They got transferred to Athens. And as soon as they went to Athens, they started going to the Persian-speaking church, which happened to be like 95% Iranian. Well, tribal feuds die hard, and they die slowly, and they did not feel welcomed at that church at all. They left this Afghan community in Lesvos to go to a Persian-Iranian church in Athens, and they didn't have a place to live. They didn't have anything to do. They didn't have any jobs. They didn't have any money, um, and she was pregnant, right? And, um, and the church couldn't help them. Couldn't help them, wouldn't help them. I wasn't there. I just know from the perspective that this woman told me. There was obviously deep wounds there. And what happened is they were letting those deep wounds of the past shape them and mold them. In other words, they had stopped drawing their identity from the well of the gospel, and they had started drawing their identity from what their perception was of other people thinking of them. And it was destroying them. And so by the time we met them, um, they no longer were fellowshipping with any believers. They no longer were reading the word. They no longer were praying. And in Yahya's explanation, they just were enjoying life. We're in Germany now. That's a problem of health, a problem that we can address by encouraging health. Second uh, family we met with, or second guy we met with, his name was Morteza. Morteza, young guy, creative guy, artistic guy, the kind of guy who definitely not would have not fit in 
in Kabul, okay? And now he finds himself in Germany. You know, he's covered in tattoos and piercings. Um, normally the Taliban doesn't like that too much. And, um, and so here he is. He's living in Germany. He's the only Afghan in a small little community where he was sent, right? He has one Iranian friend um, who's not yet a believer, but who he's witnessing to on a regular basis. Um, but you realize that Morteza was struggling, and as you started to ask why he was struggling, what he was struggling with, and you started picking and asking questions and prodding, it, again, it went back to health. He wasn't in the Word. He wasn't in prayer. He wasn't in fellowship. He was trying to maintain his life based upon last year's bread, which is only going to get you so far before you find yourself in a hole. The third, another family we met with, Isaac and Latifa. Um, uh, they were in Germany, and they were thriving, right? They were thriving in Germany. And I know, Latifa, it's not an Afghan name you think of. Um, they're thriving in Germany, okay? And as they're in Germany, they, are, they found a church. Their daughter's speaking fluent German. She's growing in her faith. Mom is growing in her faith. But you realize dad never moved on from Lesbos in terms of his walk with the Lord. That when he was in this incubated environment where you could do Bible study for 20 hours a day if you wanted to, now he's in Germany where he's got to do German class and he's got to take care of the home and he's got to be a dad and he's got to maybe pick up some under the table work here and there. And you realize that he's not feeding his own spiritual walk. And because he's not feeding his own spiritual walk, guess what he's also not doing? He's also not leading his family spiritually. And so as soon as we get there, all of a sudden, the daughter starts peppering us with questions because she's desperate to have someone lead her. She starts asking questions about apologetics. She starts asking questions from the scriptures. She starts asking what this means, what that means. And what you realize is that her dad, because he stopped growing, he wasn't there to be this leader that she needed. Again, issues of health. And so when we have these conversations, we're asking very basic questions. Hey, how you doing? Tell me about this. Yo, what, are you, what are you reading lately? You know, what did, how did God grow you since you came to Germany? Very basic questions. And then based upon what people respond, we wind up talking. I mean, often we would be in a meeting two to three hours, two to three hours per meeting, having these conversations. But by having this framework in my brain, it enables me to listen and to say, okay, this is an issue of health. But it's not always an issue of health. Sometimes it's an issue of process. What is multiplicative process? Multiplicative process is not addition. Addition is one plus one plus one plus one plus one. But what does Paul describe here? Paul says, what you, Timothy, heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, in other words, there's a group, I need you to entrust a faithful men, plural, who will in turn teach others, plural, also. And so in other words, you have this, this expansion, this multiplication, one, three, nine, 27. You have this multiplicative expansion of the gospel going forward. That's the only way the gospel is going to reach the ends of the earth because we cannot scale with population growth, okay? People have babies faster than you can share the gospel and people come to faith. And so Paul wants, Paul wants Timothy and these other people to pass it on. Pass what on? He wants them to pass on the gospel, obviously. Paul has a high value on what we would say is gospel doctrine, sound doctrine shaped by healthy gospel understanding, 
And that means that you need to have a plan to discover the gospel, a plan for short-term discipleship, a plan for midterm discipleship, a plan for long-term discipleship, a plan, a plan for doctrinal understanding, and you need to have a plan to have people grow as husbands, as wives, as leaders, as parents, as elders, as church planters, as evangelists. It's a lot. And so it needs to be as simple as you can possibly make it. Because if you're talking about the rapid expansion of the gospel through these unreached people groups like the Afghan church, which is brand new, brand new, brand new, brand new. I mean, there's maybe 100 Afghan leaders in the world or something like that, they estimate. Then you need to have something that doesn't require you to go get a THM at a seminary before you can talk with anyone about the gospel. All right, especially if they don't even speak English. And so in the ABCs, we talk about the things Breton mentioned, and we try hard to make those simple biblical processes that are reproducible so because simple things grow and simple things multiply. And if it's too complicated, it doesn't multiply. If it's too complicated, it doesn't grow. And so we try to keep it simple. So what does that look like? One of the men we were talking to, his name was Noor. We got to his house. His wife made the most remarkable spread. I'm so upset that I didn't take a picture of it. You would have thought she was feeding 30 people. I kid you not. And, um, and as we're talking to Noor, he's very eager. He's very excited. He told, I said, what are you reading in the Bible lately? He grabbed his Bible. He tells us what he's reading. He tells us how he's praying. He tells us who he's sharing with. And so because we're thinking multiplicatively, we know one of the best things that you can do for people is inviting them in and inviting them up, modeling to them so that they can become leaders. And so what did we do? We said, hey, Nor, why don't you come with us to go visit Morteza? And that's what we did. So we bring Nor with us. Because in the multiplicative process, we're realizing that the best thing to do is not to come back to Germany in three months. The best thing to do is to realize that Noor lives in Stuttgart, and Stuttgart's a lot closer to Frankfurt than Cape May is to Frankfurt. And so if we can mobilize Noor and Johanna can coach Noor, Noor can bear fruit there, and then, Noor, and then Johanna doesn't have to go to Morteza. Noor can go to Morteza. And so we bring Noor with us to meet Morteza. And then you know what Noor does? He says to Morteza, what are you reading in your Bible? Because someone had just asked him, and now he's asking the same questions. And while we were there, um, we started talking about the importance of health from 2 Timothy, and I drew on a triangle, and I talked about how we have these different things that we need to be thinking about, and how we have these different identities. You guys who have gone through the hub know exactly what I'm referring to. And guess what? Then Noor wanted to draw it. That's multiplicative. Second person we met with, his name was Abbas. And, um, and this was another man who showed great potential. He had a lot of questions. He was engaged. He was teaching. He was leading Bible studies on Zoom two times a week. This is someone who is trying, like the farmer, he's trying to, to reproduce, right? He's faithful to attempt. He's available to meet, and he's teachable because he's asking questions. And so the idea is you take Johanna and you say, Johanna, I'm going to put you next to Abbas, and you need to more intentionally pour into Abbas, bring him with you. And so we invited him to come with us as well, but he was unable to. 
And so the point is by, we, okay, these guys are healthy, and so what's the next thing on the block here is the process. Is their process multiplicative, which leads me to Shanjala, okay? We met this guy in, um, in Saarbrücken, and we drive three hours. He's the only refugee in his town, and this guy is like, um, this guy is extremely aggressive, as in, he's always fighting with Muslims on TikTok, right? Like, they got, that's apparently, there's a ton of Muslims coming to faith through TikTok, and it, I didn't want to admit it the whole week. The whole week, I was like, it's not true. Nope, not TikTok. Please, Lord God, not TikTok. Um, the, apparently, all these Muslims just debate on TikTok. They debate back and forth on TikTok. So this guy was always fighting on TikTok, fighting with Muslims on TikTok, Right? Uh, the kind of guys who would burn the Quran on TikTok just to make people angry. Okay, the problem is this. A lot of passion. Apologetics are important. Sometimes apologetics are absolutely necessary to break static friction, but they're not very reproducible, especially when you're just fighting on TikTok. And so even if you convince one or two people to think differently, you burned the bridge in the process. And so here's a guy who's got a lot of fire, he's got a lot of passion, he's growing in the Lord, but his process is not necessarily going to be multiplicative, it's going to be one plus one plus one plus one, because it's hard to reproduce what he has, you cannot reproduce quickly in another person. Now, it doesn't mean what he has is bad, but he should be wrestling with how to do it multiplicatively. And then, fourth story from process, we met a guy named Kayun. Kayun, we met him, young guy in his 20s. And um, as I had drawn the triangle for uh, Noor and Morteza in front of Johanna, as soon as we got there, um, Johanna said, Oh, brother, come and talk with Kayun. Draw that thingy for him. And Ryan and I were like, We're going to go get bubble teas. And we just walked away. The reason we walked away is because we knew if we stayed, he was going to make us do what? Draw the triangle. But by moving and leaving, we force him to do it instead. David will tell you that when I was teaching the hub with David, I would do this all the time. That right before something was about to happen, I'd go, I have to go to the bathroom. And then I would just leave. And David would be like, what are you doing? And I would force David to have to do it. Because that's multiplicative. That we're, it's been modeled. You've done it with me, and now it's time for you to do it. It's time for you to do it on your own. The whole idea of multiplication is to have a process that's going to reproduce. Like I said, simple things grow. Simple things multiply. Complex things do not. And so you have healthy people. We're looking for healthy people. We're looking to equip them with a reproducible process, a multiplicative process. And then the third piece is this. The power of God. Power of God. See, spiritual work requires spiritual tools, spiritual power. What is spiritual work? Well, we're looking for disciples of Jesus, not people who will just convert to Christianity so they can get a fast track on their asylum status. We're looking for people who embrace relationship with God, not people who substitute out the religion of Islam for high church Lutheranism in Germany. 
where they just replace one religion with a new one. We're looking for people who are looking for regeneration of their spirit by the power of God, not people who just want a list of rules because it just came from a list of rules. We're looking for people who have a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. We're looking for people who are understanding reconciliation, not recompense and revenge. It's forgiveness versus trying to make up for something I did in my past. You know, at Revolve, Victor did a great job unpacking what it meant to be strengthened by the grace of the gospel, that grace, mercy, and peace come from the gospel, that the Spirit of God is within us because of the gospel. It's the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that seated him as the highest authority. It's the Spirit that was present of creation, this breath of life. And as we think about that Holy Spirit, which we have because of the grace of God, the gospel of God, you can either collaborate with that Holy Spirit or you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can be led by it. You can be filled by it. All believers are sealed by it as an inheritance, a guarantee of our future inheritance, but you can still grieve it. When we collaborate with the Spirit, we're walking in a lifestyle of surrender. We're waiting on God, waiting, not being patient. We talked about this this past week with some friends, the difference between waiting and being patient. When you're being patient, I can be busy around my house being patient for you to show up. But if I'm waiting for the master of the house to show up, I am at the door. I am waiting patiently for the master of the house, but waiting is active. So from a posture of surrender, we wait on God in the word and in prayer. As God brings up muck and mire, we apply the gospel to it and let the gospel change us and root it out. And then we pursue obedience to what he's revealed in his word. That's collaborating with the spirit. And that's opposed to grieving the spirit, which is intentionally choosing sin, intentionally embracing defiance, not feasting at his table, but being content with the white bread of the world, not conforming to the word, instead conforming to the world around us. Those things grieve the spirit of God. And it's like if we have a bucket and it's got a bunch of rocks in it and the Holy Spirit is water, then we're going to have more of the Spirit's filling if we start removing rocks, right? But if we just, well, yeah, it's going to, because guess what? The bucket's got a lot of holes in it and we're always draining. And so the Holy Spirit is constantly exhuming this garbage out of our hearts and we need to surrender and give it up. So when he challenges us and he says that relationship's not honoring to the Lord and we can say, well, I like it. Or we can say, have your way. Lord, have your way. Have your way in me. We can surrender or we can dig in our heels. The spirit has to move in a person in order to have them come to life in Christ. We can throw the seed of the gospel, but we can't make it grow. And so that means we pursue obedience to the things we've mentioned, and it means we pray, and we fast, and we pray, and we fast, and we wait, and we pray, and we wait, and we pray, and we fast. Like I said during worship, for 10 days they prayed before Pentecost. Prayed for 10 days, preached for 10 minutes, 3,000 people get saved, right? We need the power of God in our lives. You can have the appearance of health, you can have all the processes, but if you don't have the power, it doesn't matter. It's like having a sailboat that's trimmed and ready and no wind. And so as we look at these situations, we say, is this 
a health problem? Is this a process problem? Or is this a power problem? So I'll tell you about Daniel as we wind down here. Daniel was a preacher, teacher, pastor. We wanted to visit him. And he says, yeah, I'm, I'm currently at such and such location. We punched into the map. Okay, this is three hours and 40 minutes further away than we thought it was going to be. And we get there, and it's like the Truman Show. It's a hospital town. Okay, maybe they have these in other parts of Europe. Hospital town. I felt like I was going to get dragged away by people in white coats. It was like everything was perfect. Everybody's walking, smiling at you, waving. And then we realize that Daniel is currently like in an institution because he had a breakdown. And so he goes out and he goes to sit with us and have coffee. And we're trying to talk with him, but he's talking in German. Johanna was done translating. He was like, I think his brain was fried. He's talking in German. I haven't spoken German in 20 years. So I'm like this, coffee. Milk, right? Right? This kind of idea. The Lord empowered us. I mean, the Lord really empowered us to understand. I'm not, I'm not joking, right, Ryan? Am I right? I mean, it was like a it was like a, a gift of understanding. Here's a guy who said that he was completely wiped, completely anxious, completely overwhelmed. Why? Because he left a religion of rules and he moved to a country. That is the most rule-driven country on the planet. And he said, I feel like I'm always suffocating from anxiety. And you realize it was this oppressive culture of rule. Now, what did Daniel need? Here's a guy who was a pastor. He knows the word. He knows how to pray. He's doing these things. What does Daniel need? What does Daniel need? Does he need a lecture on how he's not faithful enough? No. Does Daniel at that point in time need a slap on the wrist because his methods aren't reproducible enough? No. What does Daniel need? He needs the power of the grace of God to touch his heart afresh. He needs the touch of the gospel. He needs the whisper of the spirit. He needs the gentle encouragement of a friend. And you know what he said to us? He said, I can't believe you guys came all the way from the United States to visit me. That's what he said. Little did he know, as soon as I punched that in the GPS, I was like, we don't have time for Daniel. <laughs> Not visiting Daniel. I got a schedule. But the Lord had other plans. It's only by us being led by the Spirit that you even know what to say to someone like Daniel. And that's why you can't just focus on being a healthy person and having the right processes. You need to have the power of God at work in you or through you. Because at the end of the day, this is a spiritual game. It's a spiritual game. So when we go on these trips, that's what we're looking for. That's what we're doing. That's what we're reflecting on. What is a healthy disciple? How does a healthy disciple grow? What's impeding the process of multiplication in this situation? Is it philosophical? Is it methodological? Is it cultural? Is it competency? And what is the Spirit saying right now? What is choking out the life that the gospel gives in this person's heart? 
I'm almost done. We're going to skip the last song. What you realize is that for us, for us, now I'm talking about United States, Cape May County, little old Cape May County, Karen Farrell, where are you? Little old Cape May County. What you realize is that for us, we need to be engaged and encouraged in these same three areas, guys. If I'm not healthy, if I'm not functioning in a way that is reproducible, if I'm not spirit-led, I mean, what kind of pastor would I be? How could I lead you guys if those three areas were dysfunctional? And believe me, they're dysfunctional. I mean, if you know me, they're dysfunctional. Every day, you need to come back to the gospel of grace to be replenished, rebuilt, right? Every day, moment by moment. But what about you? What's going on in your life right now? If we were sitting across the table in Saarbrücken and we are asking you questions, what would you say? You know, maybe you're like Noor or Abbas and you're ready to sit down and you're ready to rock and roll and you just want someone to equip you with, with some competencies because you're ready. You're ready to just grab the bull by the horns. Maybe not. But in these three areas, healthy people, multiplicative processes, and walking in the power of God, what would you say is your weakness? What do you see needing reinforcement in your life, your personal life, your family life, your discipleship group, your church? What do you see as the needs of our community in those three areas? healthy people, processes, and the power of God. You see, sometimes it's easy to go overseas and then be blind to our own needs. It's easy to give other people advice and counsel and then be blind to what we need here because we need to be healthy people using multiplicative processes by the power of God. This is what we need. This is Paul's final last words before he decides, my time is done. He's going to get beheaded. And so this week, I really would challenge you to be reflecting on that what you need, and what we need. I already know what I think we need. I think we need to have a Pentecost moment where we pour out our hearts to the Lord for 10 days of prayer. Why would we think God's going to work if we're not seeking him with abandon, intentional, God-glorifying abandon? I think the power of God is what we need. But what about you personally? Spend time reflecting on those things this week.